Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are an Acts 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through his word and by his spirit. So we're looking at we're looking at a series called We Believe, where we're going to have eight, eight sessions looking at different aspects of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, when I grew up, I grew up and uh, my parents would, would make me, would make me, it sounds like I was marched out of the house every day. We went to a Presbyterian church every Sunday. <clears throat> and part of the service in the Presbyterian church is uh, there'd be a point in the service where everybody would stand and would recite the Apostles' Creed together, would recite that together. So I know that. I didn't plan to learn it, but because I stood up every Sunday and went through it, it embedded itself in me. And um, when, I, when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 14 years old in a different church, <clears throat> I kind of, I wanted nothing to do with what I considered to be tradition and ritual because, because my experience of that was it was quite dead and my experience of this new church that I was in was quite alive and full of Jesus and, and life-giving and, and all that stuff. And so... I didn't want anything to do with, I, I didn't think anything serious of the Apostles' Creed or anything like that because I thought that is, that's just tradition. I'm all about Jesus and Holy Spirit and presence and now and, and all of that stuff. But here's the thing. People have been using this for 1,800 years. Yep. And, and to walk away, to walk away from what uh, Pastor Tim Keller calls a summary of essential Christian doctrine is not a good thing to do. Because remember, 1,800 years ago, uh, not everybody could read, not everybody had access to the Bible, not everybody had access to the stuff that we have now. And so uh, there was this thing, this Apostles' Creed, that pulled together the, the elements of Christianity, the elements of Christian faith, to help people to remember what was important, and to help people to be able to say, actually, that's not what we believe, because this is what we believe. So to help to correct against error. So we're not looking at the Apostles' Creed because, you know, it's something we need to learn. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed because it reminds us what's in the Scripture. So we're looking at Scripture, not necessarily we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. I want to make that clear as well. And so this morning, we are looking <clears throat> at the first bit and I have the challenge of, of looking conceptually and theologically at God, the Father, and Creator in 30 minutes. It's going to be great. Hold on to your chairs is what I'm going to say. God, the Father, and Creator. God is our Father and Creator. I was thinking about this and spending a bit of time praying. And I was saying, God, where do I start? Where, where do I start Talking about you as God, you as Father, you as Creator, where do I start? And to be honest, just giving you a peek behind the curtain, I was a little bit frustrated because, I mean, this is, there is so much to talk about, and this is such a big topic. And, um, and when I'm preparing stuff, I like to have what's called a hook, something that just gets me into it. Once we're in, we're in. But if I don't have a hook, it just frustrates me a little bit. So I was praying, saying, God, where do we start? And then this phrase dropped into my head, and I thought, yes, that's where we'll go. And the phrase is this, <clears throat> origin story, origin story. I love movies, and uh, I love um, all sorts of movies, but particularly like superhero movies because I'm still a child inside. And, um, and in every superhero movie, 
at some point, there will be an origin story. So we've got Spider-Man. Spider-Man's origin story is bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah, please avoid radioactive spiders if you can. We've got Iron Man. He gets into an accident. He has to build a machine to, help, to keep him alive, to stop these bits of metal from getting to his heart. And then he continually develops those machines, becomes a hero. We've got Batman who suffers a trauma <laughs> and then decides to use that trauma to... Uh, to, to hone his skills so that he can stop that trauma from happening to anyone else. There's always an origin story. And we like the origin story. We like, when we're watching a movie and we have a little flashback to see how this person got to be where they are, we like those things. Well, I say we, I'm talking about myself. I like those things. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to fast forward this bit because I don't care. I don't care how this person came to be where they are today. But we like those things because it answers some questions. It answers the question, where do we come from? And why are we here? What is our purpose? What is our purpose? And when that phrase, origin story, dropped into my head, I thought, this, this line, God, our Father and Creator, that is our origin story. That is our origin story. It doesn't matter where you were born in the world. It doesn't matter who you were born to in the world. This is your origin story, that God the Father and Creator, decided that you would be here now. He decided that you would be here now, in this room now, today, with these people, because this is your origin story. And I, I love the, it's not in my notes, but I love the, the imagery in um, John chapter 13, you know, where Jesus wraps a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples' feet. It's a beautiful image of a God who came to serve, and Jesus setting an example for his disciples. But before all of that happened, I don't know if you, if you remember this, but the beginning of chapter 13, it says then Jesus, knowing where he had come from, knowing who he was and where he was going, took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. He knew who he was, he knew where he was going, and he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. And I think about that sometimes and think about my, 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 um, my adolescence. I think about what it was like where I grew up. I grew up in a country called Guyana in South America. I think about my childhood. I think about all the things that, that influenced me, all the things that took me to the place where one Thursday night, I think it was, it might have been a Tuesday night, I was stood at the front of a church saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I think about all the things that got me to that point, and those things are good, but that is my origin story. That's where my story starts. My story starts with God, the Father and Creator, and your story starts with God, the Father and Creator, which is why it is important to remember that He is our Father and our Creator. <clears throat> so we'll look at those three things in the next 25 minutes or so, and we'll see what Jesus has to say to us. So let's talk about the Father. We used it this morning in, in the Lord's Prayer. There was a moment where the disciples saw that there was something different about the way that Jesus interacted with God. You have to remember that in Jewish culture, there would have been as boys, they would have been trained 
from very early age to understand Torah and to understand all of the things that they had to go through, the things they had to say, when to pray, how to pray. They would have been schooled in all of those things. And so they would have known how to pray. But they saw something in Jesus that was different. And so even though they knew how to pray, as far as their understanding of prayer was, they came to Jesus one day and they could have said, can you teach us how to do miracles because they'd seen some of those. Can you teach us some of this, this stuff that you're doing? But they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And then Jesus opens up his response. He says, when you pray, so there is a, an expectation that you will be doing it. He didn't say if you pray. He says, when you pray, say, our Father. Now, we did that together this morning, and it was beautiful. <coughs> when the mic wasn't feeding back, it was beautiful. But I think sometimes we can miss some of the things that, that Jesus was communicating when he was telling his disciples to say, our Father. Up until that point, no one had addressed God as Father but Jesus. You would refer to God as the great I am. You would refer to God as the, in, in many ways, as it says in the Old Testament, but no one called God Father. But Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. He, he instructs us to refer to God as our Father. The other thing that strikes me just from those two words, and I don't want to spend the whole morning just talking about those two words, but I think I could. The other thing that strikes me is Jesus didn't say, when you pray, say, my Father. He said, say, our Father. And so immediately when you pray, what you are doing is you are, by saying our Father, without maybe even thinking about it, you are placing yourself in the community of believers. You're saying, our Father. By even starting this prayer, you're saying and recognizing, I am part of the family of God, our Father. This makes the concept of God personal. You know, I may have told you this before, but when I was growing up, <coughs> everybody referred to my dad as Mr. Mac because the surname, yeah, McDavid. So Mr. Mac, um, that's how they referred to my dad. And, um, and I just couldn't get away with anything because everyone knew my dad. Everyone knew my dad. So either I couldn't get away with anything because everyone knew my dad or because, you know, I was a light-skinned child in a country of darker-skinned people. So I kind of stood out. So maybe that's why I couldn't get away with everything because people knew who I was. But people would always say to me, are you Mr. Mac's son? Are you Mr. Mac's son? And... It never brought me joy because I knew, great. I mean, it makes me sound like I just wanted to do naughty things all the time, and I didn't. But as soon as someone said, are you Mr. Mac's son? I knew that they knew my dad and that I wouldn't be able to get away with anything. I couldn't misbehave. I couldn't do anything that would be reported to my dad. So the question, are you Mr. Mac's son? never brought me much joy. It would now, but it never brought me much joy as a child because it made me think, great, now they're going to tell my dad whatever I say or do. But the father gives us a sense of identity. Are you Mr. Mac's son? Yes, he is 
my Father. And when I think, when Jesus wants us to refer to God in prayer as our Father, He wants us to understand that that is where we get our sense of identity. We identify as children of God. You know, part of the Christmas narrative includes the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son, John. You know, the angel appears to Elizabeth, just like the angel appears to Mary. Appears to Elizabeth and says, you're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. He's going to be great. And the uh, angel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah says, how is this going to happen? And the angel says, well, because you're doubting, you're not going to speak until the angel, until the angel, until the child is born. So Zechariah, from that moment, is not able to say anything else. And we don't know how talkative he was. Maybe that was a blessing to the people around him. I don't know. But then the child is born, and the family are around. And it's quite an important moment in Jewish culture when you're naming a child. So the family are around, and it's expected that you will use a name that is in the family. And so they're saying, what are you going to call this child? And um, Elizabeth says, we're going to call him John. And they're like, well... John is not, is not a name in the family. So what are you going to call this child? And, and Zechariah, Bible says Zechariah writes. He writes because he can't speak. He writes down, his name is John. And from that moment, he's able to speak again. But the word, the, the name John means God is gracious. God is gracious. And so Zechariah writes, his name is John. And in my mind, I'm imagining writing, God is gracious on the tablet that he's been given. God is gracious. And from that moment, he is able to speak again. But the father is the one who gives the name to the child in this instance. The father is the one who gives us our identity. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, See what an incredible quality of love the father has shown to us that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. We can't take this for granted. We can't and shouldn't take this for granted, that we could be called the children of God. Now, this doesn't apply to everyone. I just want you to know that. God is God and Father and Creator, but the Father bit does not apply to everyone. It applies to certain people. Let's hope you're one of those. (laughs) John chapter 1, you should be one of those. John chapter 1 verse 11 says this, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. You remember this because we read this at Christmas. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God, to all who receive Him. So there is, there is some action on our part. So when we say, as, as I used to do in my Presbyterian church, stood up every Sunday saying, I believe in God the Father, I could say those words, but actually, if I hadn't encountered and received Jesus with everything that I am, then all I am doing is saying words. And I think that was my issue. I think that was my issue as a teenager. All we're doing is saying words. Do we actually mean what we're saying? And so the fact that God is our Father speaks to the fact that we are part of a family. 
whether you have experienced great family life growing up or not, we are part of a family. It speaks to the fact that we belong. Let me tell you this this morning. You belong. The Father loves you and sees you as His son or His daughter, and you belong. And everything that He is supersedes any experience you have had of a good or a terrible dad. He is an incredible Father to us, and He loves you, and you belong. It's not just that we believe in God the Father, we believe in the Creator. He is our Creator. I took this photo uh, one of the mornings, one of my early morning walks. You can't see much because it was dark. But in the, in the kind of little splodge there, see that little bright light in the sky. That is the planet Venus. And I quite like this kind of stuff. Yeah, so put your hand up when you've had enough. I quite like this kind of stuff. That is the planet Venus that I took a photograph of on my early morning walk. I am just amazed that I can walk look up in the sky, and recognize a planet, a different planet. Listen, a different planet. I can see it in the sky. That is amazing to me. Yeah? So we're in the solar, solar, solar system. Yeah? We know that? It's just, if, you're not, if you don't know that, please write that down. It's quite important. It should be part of your address. The solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy. And uh, in the Milky Way galaxy, they reckon there's between... 250 to 500 billion stars. Yeah. Someone said if you wanted to, if you had the power and you wanted to bless everyone on the planet currently, 7 billion people on the planet, and said, I want to give you some stars, I'm just going to divide the stars up so you, you can each have some stars. How many stars do you think each person would have? And the answer is 7 trillion. Yeah. Seven trillion. It makes my head hurt. <coughs> let me help you. Let me, let me help you. I need, I need a volunteer. Let me help you with some of this. Because it just blows my mind when we think about God the Creator. So what we're going to do is build a tiny scale model of our solar system together. Yeah, tiny one. Scale model, though. So here we have Earth. It's a, it's a peppercorn. Adam, if you can be responsible for Earth, please. Where'd you put that other thing, Ethan? And then uh, to represent the sun, we have this ball. Ethan, you can have the ball. Should just stand holding them close together so you can see comparatively. Actually, it's not quite accurate because the ball should be a basketball. Yeah, so comparatively, a peppercorn towards a basketball is roughly the earth to the sun. Yeah? And the distance is about the width of this room. So if you go stand over there, Ethan, and Adam, if you go and stand over there. So this is our solar system. Yeah, so that is the sun, bright sun that you see in the mornings, sometimes, <laughs> apparently exists. And then over there, that's us on that peppercorn orbiting the sun. So, the sun is the star in our solar system, okay? So that roughly is the distance in those scales. That's roughly the distance. I've worked it out. So here's the question, okay? That is the, that's our sun. 
in one solar system. If we're going to do another scale, and if I got something else to give to Jeremy, and I gave Jeremy another ball and said, Jeremy, you're going to be the next closest star to us. So that's the sun in our solar system. The next closest star is a star called Proxima Centauri in the, in the galaxy, in the solar system called Alpha Centauri. Yeah? So where would we put Jeremy to be in this, in this little scale model that we're doing? Where would Jeremy have to go and stand? It would definitely have to be outside, wouldn't it? Yeah, because it's not going to be inside. It's going to have to be outside this room. So maybe the gate. Maybe the street down the road. Maybe the town center. I think well, we've done this before, Adam. That's why. If we're going to do scale of Earth to our sun, and then Earth to the next nearest sun, it's just the next nearest sun, Jeremy would have to go and stand in Chicago. So, let us know when you get there, and then we'll, then we'll carry on this preach. Chicago. That's the next nearest star. Okay, let me just go back. There are at least 250 to 500 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. It makes your head hurt. It makes my head hurt. You can sit down, guys. Thank you. It makes my head hurt to think that we are just on that tiny peppercorn <laughs> in this vast, vast universe that God has made. Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4 says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Incredible. So if the universe is this incredibly vast and, uh, and God is at the center of it, what does that tell us? It tells us that you're not. You are not at the center of the universe. God is. The creator is at the center of the universe. I love that while I was thinking about this, uh, this other passage came, into, came to mind of the incident where God speaks to Jeremiah. Uh, God says, Jeremiah, I've got something I want you to see. I want you to go down to where the guy is making pots. And so Jeremiah goes down. It says in Jeremiah chapter 18, this is the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. In the background, the righteous brothers was playing probably. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. That is highlighted in my Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And I think sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that God is the one who shapes us. The Creator is the one who shapes us, who makes us for His purpose. It says there, and, and God was speaking to Jeremiah about a specific time and place in, 
Israel's history, and we understand that, but it says, shaping it as seemed best to him. There is, there is a need in us, there definitely is a need in me to recognize the times where I am frustrated because I am trying to shape my life rather than allowing the potter, the creator of the universe, to shape me as seems best to him. Help us, Lord, to see you as the creator and as the one who has a plan for us. And then finally, out of the three, and this is really just a whistle-stop tour of these topics, all right, so don't give me a hard time. God. Where do we start talking about God? We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Creator. But we have to start by believing in God. Um, Pastor Tim Keller, when he talks about this, he, he, he said something that I found very helpful, actually. He said, uh, one, of the best, one of the best kind of instances of seeing God and understanding a bit about God is the incident of Moses and the burning bush. So turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3. It says, uh, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am, which is, which is interesting because I don't think I'd be replying to a bush that spoke my name. I'd, I'd be, my, my reply would be, see ya. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them in. He goes on to say some other stuff. He says, I'm sending you. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God says, I will be with you. Moses says, suppose I go. And they say, who sent you? What is his name? What shall I tell them? And then God says to Moses, I am who I am. Or basically, he says, being. Tell them being has sent you. Being has sent you. Not a being, but existence almost. Being has sent you. Yeah, Tim Keller says that the reason, the reason it is interesting that God chooses to reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush as fire that does not consume the bush is that he was communicating something important to Moses. The reason Moses stopped to see the bush that was burning, because bushes that spontaneously combust apparently is, is not that different, not that unusual in that, um, in that climate, in that place, uh, where Moses was. The reason Moses went to stop and to see this bush and pay a little more attention to it was because he was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed and the fire wasn't changing. So there was something unusual about that. So Moses stopped to see it. Usually if you have a fire, you need fuel. And then once the fuel is gone, the fire is gone. But in this instance, it didn't. And it's like God was communicating something I 
do not depend on anything, but everything depends on me. I do not depend on anything. God is self-sustaining. And that is worth remembering because sometimes we feel like we have to help God. We have to help Him. We have to, we have to serve Him because He needs us. He chooses to use us because He loves us. And he, he wants to be in partnership with us. But He doesn't need us in that sense to be who He is. He depends on nothing. And everything depends on Him. And the other reason... The other aspect of God that, that God communicates to Moses from the burning bush is that he isn't just to be seen. He is to be experienced. You don't just see fire. You hear fire. You feel, you feel the heat. You feel the warmth, which we are kind of grateful for today. You feel the warmth. You can see it. You can feel it. You can smell it sometimes. If I was to describe a meal to you that I had over Christmas, it always goes back to food, doesn't it? If I was to describe a meal that I had over Christmas, I could go into lots of details about, you know, the sauce that we had, the spices that went into it. Some of you are looking at me funny. Okay, you've made a New Year's resolution. If I was to describe a really good salad to you, <coughs> and I talked about the crunch... <laughs> Bernie's making a face at me. I talked about the crunch of the fresh vegetables. I talked about the, the, the sesame seeds maybe that I put in, the kind of the, the, the dressing. All of that is great. But actually, what do you need to do to fully experience the salad? You need to eat it. You need to taste it. I can talk about it forever, and I can describe it in great detail. I would never do it with a salad. But I can talk about food and describe it in great detail. But actually, for you to really understand what I'm talking about, you would have to eat it yourself. The Bible says, taste and see that God is good. It doesn't say look and know. It says taste and see that God is good. And so there has to be... That, that difference from people who stand and say, I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. That's great to say that you believe, but you can say that you believe and still not know him. You can say those words, but still not know who he is. And he wants you to know who he is. He wants you to experience him as your father, as your creator, as your God. He wants you to experience Him. So as we go through this series and we look at different aspects of doctrine, different aspects of who God is, different aspects of what we believe as Christians, it isn't just so that we know stuff. It's important to know stuff. But it is also important that we experience who God is, that we taste and see who God is. And so if we do nothing else from this, uh, from this talk this morning, what I'd really like us to do is, we'll do that in a moment, but also in your, in your quiet time at home when you're on your own, just to say, God, this year I want to taste and see who you are. I want to have a, a greater appreciation for you as my Father. I want to have a greater understanding of you as my Creator. But more than that, I want to taste and see who you are. Let's bow our heads. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. 
Please keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.livechurchwarrington.com.